0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. I am live. I am in Southern California. I am Jim Rome. Welcome to the jungle. Why don't we start with some college football? Urban Meyer is where I want to start. Herb met with the media yesterday to explain his decision to step down after the Rose Bowl. Now... I could play you some clips from that presser, but why don't we be honest about something? There's really only one question that anybody cares about. Only one question that really matters. Nobody is really interested in why he's stepping down. Because you know you're not going to get a straight answer from him on that one. So the only question that really matters is, is he going to coach again? And it's a fair question. Because yesterday was his third retirement since 2009. It's a hell of a lot of retirements. If you get fired three times in less than a decade, that's a problem. If you retire, though, three times in less than a decade, that's a... Well, I've got no idea what that is because that just doesn't happen. Most people don't drive three different cars in less than a decade, and this guy's rolling through retirements like they're leased. And while it is a fair question... Given Herb's past, you knew there was not much of a chance that you would get a good answer. You see, Urban Meyer has a really interesting relationship with the truth. Let's just say that it's a strained relationship that he likes to characterize as misstatements or failed memories. And then when he pulls crap like that, he thinks he's getting over. And for some people, maybe he does. But when you look at this guy's track record when you know how this guy operates to me it's all pretty hilarious or it would be if it didn't involve so much denying and covering for some allegedly heinous acts which is why this following exchange is such classic urban meyer a reporter asks and i quote is this truly it for your football career
1: is this it truly it for for your football career
0: well, it's a complicated uh, question, and, and I'll
1: try to answer it the best I can.
0: Right, let me know. jump in right there. Uh, no, it's not. That's not a complicated question. It's actually a really simple question. A very simple yes or no question. One that you had to know was going to come up at that press conference, and you still start with, uh, well, it's a really complicated question. The Eh, let's not get into that uh, yet let's not
2: get into that yet
0: 911 caller could not believe how ill prepared Herb was for that question then again if Urban Meyer was the guy who Urban Meyer proclaims himself to be then this whole thing would actually be kind of sad right because then it would be the departure of a guy who was a great football coach but also a moral leader a pillar of the community who was being cut down by his own poor health you see, if Urban Meyer was the Urban Meyer he thinks he is, he has the brain to be the best football coach in the country and a brain cyst that will not let him compete at the highest level that he wants. The tragic irony there would be so thick, it's almost Shakespearean. Except Urban Meyer is not the Urban Meyer he thinks he is or wants you to think he is. That's why this whole thing feels like a big joke. And when speaking of jokes, why don't we get back to the rest of his answer.
3: Well, it's a complicated uh, question, and, and I'll try to answer it the best I can, is that uh, um, I try to say that in the statement, uh, and this is home. This is uh, where I grew up. My It's not healthy, but I came to work every day with fear of letting people like Archie Griffin and my great state of Ohio, our great state of Ohio, and this incredible university down, because this is home. I'm a graduate
0: of Ohio State, and... Uh, we have the best fans in the land, and, and I didn't want to load the downs. Got it. Got it. All right, then. So what that means is you are going to coach again, right? Because you didn't say that you weren't. And really, nobody's buying that crap that you're slinging around right about now. I mean, answer the freaking question. Because then it was asked again, will you coach again? Urban, as you sit here now, do you believe you will not coach again? I believe I will not coach again. Are you, are you fairly certain? Like, certain, Yes. So, I believe I will not coach again, and I'm, quote, fairly certain. So, you've got three answers, right? And they include the following. Muddying the waters with, it's a complicated question. Hedging with, I believe I will not coach again. And then hedging even more with being, quote, fairly certain I will not coach again. Man, there's so much wiggle room there. You could drive a Mack truck through it. Come on, man. He didn't even bother trying to sound authentic with it. And the longer that press conference went, the less convinced he was that he was done. Hell, by the end of that presser, I thought he was going to announce that he had taken the job at USC. Like somebody asked him one more time. If they asked him one more time, he'd just rip out a USC hat and yell, fight on! Yeah, this dude's done. He's done coaching at Ohio State. But he's not done coaching. He knows it. That's why he would not answer the question. You see, this guy can't stay away. His body, his brain actually, may be telling him that he can't keep coaching. But his ego won't let him stop. So, he can sign another one of those family contracts where he pledges to take care of himself and be present with all of his loved ones. And he will. He will. For a little while. Until the next great opportunity comes along. And then he will bounce again. Because this is what this guy does. He wins a hell of a lot of football games. He crosses a hell of a lot of lines in order to do it. He lies about it. Misrepresents it. Wears out his welcome after building yet another renegade program. And then he retires only to come right back. In other words, he doesn't retire. He quits. And then he does come back. And he will again. He will again. He always does. So if somebody's offering me a line or an opportunity to bet whether herb coaches again, I'm going to hit that thing hard. Because there's no way this guy's done. You know it. I know it. Most of all, he knows it. Or he would have owned that retirement yesterday. But he didn't. He never does. And if you can't answer the easiest question ever are you done coaching? Then you know it's just a matter of time before he does it yet again. And one more thought I'm curious. How do you think that the Ohio State administration feels right about now? They stick their neck out, they shame themselves. They sell their soul to the devil to keep this guy. And what do you get for your troubles, for what you did? The very distinct possibility this guy is going to coach some other program in the near future. Now, Ryan Day, Ryan Day seems like a hell of a coach. Everybody who's been around Day raves about Day. He might, in fact, be the next Lincoln Riley. And maybe they'll come out of this okay from a football standpoint. But they stuck by a guy who brought scandal to their doorstep, and then he ducks out the back door a few months later. But that's what you get when you deal with Urban. Did it in Florida, did it at Ohio State. That's who he is. He wins a hell of a lot of football games. It's a damn good football coach now. Great coach. But he burns hot. And he'll make up a bunch of crap about how he's there to mold young men and treat women with respect. Then he'll let his players and coaches do essentially whatever the hell they want. And then he'll leave. And then he'll leave destruction in his wake. So, the next school that hires him, and I think there will be another one, had better know that. Just I know that. I, I believe
3: I will not coach again.
0: That's not, I'm not coaching again. That's not, I've had an amazing run. That's not, oh, I'm done. I'm retired. I believe I will not coach again. I believe I will not coach again. How certain are you about that? Fairly certain. Fairly certain. Like certain Yeah, else. yeah, I believe he will coach again, and I'm fairly certain about that. We're joined right now by a senior NBA writer for The Athletic. Good friend of the program, too, who's got an amazing piece up right now that I want to get into. Sam Amick is my guest. Sam, great to have you back. How are you? Romey, doing great. Thanks for having me, sir. Always good to have you, Sam. Thanks so much. And I mentioned a fascinating piece up right now in The Athletic about the Warriors and what they dealt with last year. Sam, before we get into it, let's go back to a comment that David West made after Golden State won at the end of last season. That was the moment where West said, in part, quote, we're so tight, people don't even know what we went through. They trying to find out. Y'all got no clue. No clue. That tells you about this team that nothing came out, end quote. So at that time, Sam, what was your reaction to what he said?
2: So, I mean, obviously they wrapped up the championship in Cleveland. I remember vividly, you know, we left the Quicken Loans Arena, myself and a couple other reporters. We start seeing these quotes, you know, and and they had kind of escaped us uh, before we filed our stories for the night. So we were done. And I ended up hitting a few Warriors people, including their PR, uh, head of PR, Ray Ritter, at the time. So the Warriors are celebrating at the Morton Steakhouse. They just won another chip. And and at that moment, you know, the team – response to David's comments was that oh he's just screwing with you guys. And David was going around telling people with the team like, oh I was just I was messing around. And we all kinda said, All right, but that's kinda strange. And obviously the this you know curiosity never went away in those following months. So it was just this this weird thing where folks kept wondering what the heck he was talking about. And uh, you know, and certainly now I think we know more than before.
0: Sam Amick joining us, so you do your thing. You keep digging, you keep reporting, and you're working on the story, and as you write, quote, according to sources with knowledge of the situation, the Warriors dealt with a team-wide meningitis scare in mid-March. That was the root of Wes' infamous comments, end quote. So when you found out that that's what that was, what did you think? What was your reaction?
2: I mean, it's you know, I was stunned, like David said we would be when we learned about it. it. It also hits you it's just uh, – I don't know how to describe it, but it's not expected because I think we all had assumed that it was going to be basketball-related. It was going to be something that happened with Kevin Durant or Draymond or one of the other guys. And I don't think it was something obscure like this is, is what we thought it was going to be. And and then it was a, a strange reporting process because, honestly, Romy, like I called David to get his perspective on this current team. And then it was the tail end of that conversation. We ended up talking two different times – when he ended up sharing that it was a serious health scare, but he didn't want to take it any farther. And, you know, and I ended up finding out through other means, but I was surprised, you know, and, and, you know, like I wrote, you had a guy in house who is still there and who thankfully is healthy. And he was, he was, this was life-threatening for him. And, you know, who is, you know, part of the group that's serving food every single day. So it's close intimate contact with the Warriors, with their players. And obviously, you know, from a human standpoint, this matters, but sports wise, you're looking at one of the best sports teams of all time, you know, having this kind of a threat. And, you know, they had to take a bunch of precautions. They had to sanitize the heck out of the practice facility. They had to, you know, kind of tear down the dining room where the players and the basketball operations staff uh, ate every single day. They took vaccination shots, you know, majority of the players, other staff members. They moved practice one day over to Oracle Arena. And it's funny because I've seen some of the reaction from fans has been an eye roll and a shrug because folks – like to hate on the Warriors so much. And I just anybody who has that reaction must not understand the seriousness of something like this version of meningitis. I mean, this was a, a pretty big deal.
0: Sam Amick joining us. Obviously, it's a very big deal. Sam, I think for them, for people to say that, they obviously do not know what meningitis is. What is it, and what does it do to you?
2: Well, I mean, you have different forms, and, and it's, you know, my, I listen, full disclosure, the, the gentleman who went through this, and I understand he did not want to kind of interact or cooperate for the story, and, and I respect that, and kind of, we kept our distance, but you know, bacterial is what we believe, you know, his version of this was. And, and that's where it gets really serious. I read a story the other day about a, a former Cal athlete, 21 years old. I forget the timing. It was last couple of years who, you know, contracted it and and it was just an awful story. She was gone within two days and and this thing can hit you and, and it doesn't get much more serious. Now it's different from, you have viral meningitis, you know, DeMarcus Cousins ironically had that a few years ago, when he was on the Kings and that, you know, comes with its own symptoms, but it's not the same. And so, um, you know, it's again, it's nothing to be messed with. I do give the Warriors a lot of credit. By all accounts, they handled it very well. You know, Zaza Pachulia, you know, with the team last year, flat out said, you know, they couldn't have done a better job of keeping this thing from spreading, making sure everybody was safe, but Certainly scary stuff.
0: Sam, Amick joining us. You know, Sam, obviously these guys are used to getting hurt and they understand the protocol that comes along with that, rest, rehab, therapy. This is not what that was. This is not what this is. What was the player's reaction when they learned about the scare?
2: You know, what's interesting is I keep learning a little bit more about the reaction and the part that's not in the story and that is tough to get at because we don't interact, you know, with players' families, is that I think there was more concern around the players. And, you know, this this is one of those life situations that went – Beyond the locker room, and I think you—you know—I've heard some stuff about wives being very, very concerned and and almost still being on edge. Like it's the kind of thing that'll shake you, and you—you you just kind of hope it's definitely gone. Um, the the players themselves, I think, it varied. Like there was a lighthearted—you know—it's—it's it's weird to have a comical quote in a story like this, but Javale McGee, you know, I know you read the piece, and he's got that line where he says, you know, I'm from the hood, like I'm not afraid of meningitis, and it's like, all right, it's it's Javale being Javale, so he's taking it in stride. Um, you know, Zaza was a, a little more grave with his tone. You know, David certainly, you know, even though he wouldn't talk specifically about the meningitis, he did give his perspective on the serious health care. He described it as something that affected all of them. And, and again, all you got to know is that a guy like D. West, who's about as real and and kind of anti-dramatic as they come, uh, you know, this is where his head was at when he said what he said. And then he did feel like it was something that, that had their heads spinning and had them worried.
0: Sam Amick joining us. He's a senior NBA writer for The Athletic. This piece is up right now. I mean, Sam, it's one thing to deal with this. It's one thing to handle it. It's one thing to play with this kind of floating around. How in the world did we not find out about this until right now? I mean, like, what does that tell you about the team, the locker room, and the organization that none of this came out until right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is wild. Now, obviously, internally, they, they had meetings where they flat out said, Let's not talk to the press about this. But, I mean, my goodness, once you – I mentioned earlier, once you have wives involved, once you have, you know, kids and uncles and aunts and whoever else might have heard, it's very surprising, you know, agents and people like that, like, that it didn't get out. And even people in the media, you know, who I work with and respect every single day in talking to them after the story came out, I've yet to run into anybody who got a, a whiff of it at all. And I didn't get a whiff of it, you know, at all until talking to David. And so uh, that part's shocking, you know, and even they're trying to to see it through, you know, the Warriors declined to comment for the story and Bob Myers in particular, their GM, you know, I was told that that the reason that he did not want to give me a quote or talk to me about the piece was because he had vowed to his players to not talk about this situation. And and he doesn't want his players reading a quote in a story now, even though, you know, the story was coming out anyway. So Steph Curry did the same thing. You know, I, the team's on a long road trip, so I wasn't around the team. But I did attempt to get, you know, some reaction from Steph, and you know, and he declined. He didn't want to. He just said, "No, let's just let him write the story, and we're going to move on." So it's it's pretty wild in today's day and age that they kept it quiet.
0: All right. So winning three titles in four years is pretty impressive in and of itself, regardless of what's going on with that roster. How much more impressive is it when you're dealing with the meningitis scare late in the fourth season of that run?
2: It's it's very impressive. The timeline to me is is also what struck me about the story because you know, listen, this would have been concerning no matter the timing but if it was in november december you know it, it, w- it just would have been a different story because anybody who remembers that portion of the Warriors' season remembers that that was when they started showing some vulnerability they lost 10 out of 17 games Steph had the ankle injury comes back for one game against atlanta uh tweaks his mcl now he's out for another 16 games going into the playoffs clay thompson breaks his thumb uh david west had assist that kept them out five games. So they're battered and bruised. You know, even one of the guys I talked to for the story, Chris Boucher, who was on a two-way contract at the time with the Warriors, he now plays for the Raptors. You know, he was only there because they needed bodies. You know, he'd come to practice and even if he wasn't playing in games, you know, he was running with the champs because they needed live bodies. And so all the regular stuff that a team deals with was already at a pretty high level when it comes to injuries. And I think the personality stuff too, you know, you've, constantly heard stuff about how last season and specifically around that time in February and March, these dudes got sick of playing with each other. And it's not necessarily personal, but like David said, he goes, man, I'm not in the league anymore. So I can say this more honestly. He's like, when you're the champs, you play a lot of meaningless basketball. And that's very hard to remain focused and to not let some of these daily type of things get under your skin and cause problems.
0: Sam Amick, my guest. All right, then one last thought, Sam, because Golden State is playing the Cavaliers tonight. And that game obviously has got a very different feel from how previous Warriors-Cavs matchups have felt the last few years. Now that the rivalry is over, what is your sense as to how the Warriors players felt about the Cavalier players?
2: Well... Probably a lot of layers to a lot of nuance. I, I would recommend folks read a really good piece at our place. Uh, Anthony Slater, who covers the Warriors, just killed it having like perspective from the Warriors looking back at the rivalry and how strange it is for them going into tonight. Uh, you know, Steph in particular just talked about how, man, you're talking about uh, it was around 30 games they played each other the last couple of years. So a ton of memories. Um, how do they see their guys? You know, I mean, I think universal respect for LeBron. Certainly, even Kyrie being in Boston now, you know, universal respect for the part that Kyrie played in there. But then it gets a little, maybe a little trickier. The Tristan Thompson relationship, a little, little more friction, a little more, you know, probably a little less respect, I think. Um, you know, I think that the Warriors, we always kind of overlook the fact that these dudes are as competitive as they come. Even a guy like Steph, who puts on the kind of the angel face, you know, he's proud of the fact that they busted the Cavs up. And there's no other way to put it like they did. You know, this was two Titan teams, you know, on a collision course year after year. And if the Cavs had found a way to to go, you know, get on top of the Warriors, then this thing would have gone a different way. Maybe LeBron's still there. Maybe Kyrie's still there. But the Warriors are, you know, still doing their thing, still trying to build – keep this dynasty going and Cleveland is, is in tank mode.
0: You're right. Steph is proud. And I know Clay is too. Otherwise he wouldn't have busted them up as bums <laughs> and idiots, which is awesome. And I'll get to later on in the program. You want to read this right. piece. It's a really interesting piece. It's up right now. He's a senior NBA writer for the athletic, good friend of the program too, Sam Amick. Sam, well done as always. Nice to have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Romy. Have a good one. You too, Sam. Well done. So a meningitis scare. So, you know, if you're one of those people saying what's the big deal, who cares? Meningitis, And not like JaVale McGee, like, I'm from the hood, so therefore I'm not afraid of this. Put that aside for a minute, that's JaVale being JaVale. If you're a fan saying, who cares, what's the big deal? Then either you're here to hate or you just don't understand the nature of that disease. Like he said, there was a young athlete from Cal who contracted it and was gone two days later. So imagine the whole team having a scare. That's terrifying stuff. And incredibly, it did not get out. How it didn't get out is amazing, too. Dear Rome, color us shocked that a place as dirty as Northern California got hit with meningitis. Gross. Signed, clean SoCal, except La Habra. John in Huntington Beach, unwar perverts that get their haircuts at sports clips. Yeah, John, because there'd never, ever be any threat of meningitis in Huntington Beach. The cleanest place in the world. The most sterile place in the world. The most sanitized place in the world. HB. Again, not really something to make a joke about. Dear Romeo, I'll catch you. Guaranteed. I'll catch you. Guaranteed. Yours, three bills on curly Brian Benjamin Scale. Mike and Buffalo. Weight taking him. War Alvey's third fat alarm. Not doing that, take. I'm not, and nor are you. You see what he did there. I'll catch you. I'll catch you, guaranteed. I'll catch you, guaranteed. Yours three bills on Curly Fryan Benjamin Scale. And one more email as I go to break. I've got a sports update coming up in 30 seconds. Dear Rome, I love Southern California, but today is one of those days I dehydrate myself at work because I don't go to the water cooler all day. This is to avoid Bob in marketing, Shelly in customer service, Greg in IT, Chad in sales, going on and on about the rain around the water cooler, how nobody can drive in it, how they need to leave earlier today, how traffic is so much worse. We get it, people, but you don't have to talk about it every single time. Water drops from the sky. Get back to work, losers. John in Huntington Beach. unwar perverts that go to sports clips for a haircut. Yeah, I heard it the first time, John. It wasn't funny then either. Look this guy up. How many emails has he sent, and how many times has he sent that one war? Bro, I understand that you're a volume shooter, and that in your mind, John, it's not how many no's, it's how many yeses, Right? And if you get that one big yes, you're happy. He actually had a pretty fair point. People do freak out here in SoCal when it rains. (coughs) All right, really quickly, a couple of emails, and I want to talk about Jerry Hughes and referee Roy Ellison and who's right and who's wrong. Dear Jim, we totally believe Urban Meyer when he says that he believes he will not coach again. Insincerely, I believe I will not call again Josh in Detroit. I believe I will not flame again. Dr. Dave. I believe I will not eat again. Adelephant. Hello.
1: It's me. Den. I was wondering if
0: after. You didn't just do that, Alvin. Denlusks. I believe I will not email again. This email just reads I believe. I won't eat at Jack in the Box again. I believe I will not coach again. Ben Affat. Steven Phoenix. You're not that bright, are you, Steve? Ben Affat. Dear Jim, why did the chicken cross the road? Exactly. (laughs) Josh in Detroit.
2: I thought I'd catch up on some holiday shopping over the weekend. I walked in. The salesman asked me, how can I help you? And I said, I'll take it rack me jim
0: that dope did that yesterday that dope did that yesterday he dropped his own mic thought i'd do some holiday shopping dude you're like the male version of jolene thought i'd do some holiday shopping i walked in salesman said can i help you and i said i'll take that rack me i'm out what the hell does that even mean josh What does that even mean? That's why this guy emailed me. dear Jim, why did the chicken cross the road? Exactly. (laughs) Rack me. Josh in Detroit. I thought
2: I'd catch up on some holiday shopping over the weekend. I walked in, the salesman asked me, how can I help you? And I said, I'll take it.
0: Rack me, Jim. Ah! Bro, you're trolling me, right? Nobody's that much of a dope. You're trolling me, right? This says, hey, Rome. Wore the commission check on the salesman who got lucky enough to get Josh's lead on his desk. Signed, Dylan and Sales. Salesman said, how can I help you? I said, I'll take that. Oh. (laughs) All right. Anyway. So yesterday we talked about the bizarre story of Buffalo Bill defensive end Jerry Hughes. Running up on a ref after the Dolphins game this past Sunday and then very publicly... And very loudly accusing that ref of calling him a bitch. In case you missed it, here's what that sounded like. You call me a bitch, so I'll catch you, me, I'll catch you, I'll catch you, guaranteed. I've never heard a player talk to a ref like that. He threatened him. He accused him of calling him a bitch, and he threatened him. Literally, you can hear it right there. One more time. He threatened him. I'll catch you, guaranteed. You call me- that's six foot two 260 pound jerry hughes on video after the game in the tunnel telling referee roy ellison that he's going to catch him for calling him a bitch he also inaudibly says in that same video and i quote i'm gonna knock his ass out when i see him again i'm gonna hurry up get dressed he called me a bitch end quote so, again, just to reset this, for those who missed it, Jerry Hughes was asked why he was so hot with Ellison, what Ellison did or said to get Hughes to snap. Hughes, however, when asked about that, when asked about what I just played, did not seem to have any idea whatsoever what the questioner was talking about. What caused the, the
3: anger? I mean, What's anger? The, who was angry? Yours. I was angry? That's it, what. That's the report, yes. I mean, I lost the game, so I'm supposed to be angry. We just played our butts off for four quarters and we came six inches short of winning the football game so i think myself with uh, a lot of buffalo bills fans are probably upset right now i mean that's just the nature of the
0: of playing sports someone's going to win someone's going to lose that's true but we don't usually see those types of reactions you know going after an official after a game what something what sparks that who did unique you i did yeah i did what we saw you go up to the official what did i say if
2: i did go up to the official what did i say I'll catch you. you. Okay. That, I would love to see he the video.
0: Him, you were referencing he called you. Yeah, I would love to see the video. All right, so that's Jerry Hughes. That did not happen that way. That's Jerry Hughes, who just rolled up on Roy Ellison minutes earlier, telling the media that who's angry? What did I say? What did I say? Show me the video. Show me the video. You know, the video that everybody has that we just played. It's Strange, Right. Pretty strange. I don't know, here's an idea. When the guy says, show me the video, show the man the video. You've got it on your phones, right? Show the man the video. He asked you to see the video. Show him the video. I mean, I guess maybe the guy asking the question didn't have the video, but everybody else does. So the whole thing is just weird. Weird that Ellison allegedly called a player a bitch. That's weird. Hugh's acting... After going after Ellison, that that never happened. That's weird. And now there's an update. Because this story officially has legs. Yesterday afternoon, according to a tweet from Ian Rappaport, the NFL has begun an official review of the alleged incident. And in the process, the league has placed Roy Ellison on administrative leave. So important to note... Putting the referee on leave does not mean that he said what Hughes alleges he said. It means the NFL thinks that something may have happened and they want to get to the bottom of it. They want to find out exactly what it is. Notice the league is not saying there's no way that a ref would ever say something like that to a player. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Now, to me, I mean, it seems kind of out of character, but then again, Does that sound like something Jerry Hughes would just make up? It doesn't seem like it. Or could he have just made that up? We don't know. The league wants to know. In fact, we all want to know. The whole thing is really weird because nothing like this has ever happened before. Or has it? Apparently, there is precedence because back in 2013, an NFL referee was suspended for allegedly calling Redskins offensive tackle Trent Williams a, quote, disrespectful mother bleeper. That same referee also called Williams a, quote, garbage ass. So So there is precedent. And that referee who was suspended back in 2013 was, wait for this. Roy Ellison. The same guy. Incredible. A metaphor coming to life right before our ears and eyes. And now we know a zebra truly cannot change its stripes. Allegedly. (laughs) So potentially what we have here is an NFL employee whose job it is to police the game out on the field calling players disrespectful mother bleepers, garbage asses, and bitches. Allegedly. Reportedly. Hopefully. Imagine a league of referees running around calling the players disrespectful mother bleepers, garbage asses, and bitches. Or even just imagine just one guy doing it. Because we might have that. Again, I wasn't there. I'm not saying that Ellison did it. I don't know. I'm saying that if he did do it, then apparently it was not the first time. And that their gig. A referee's gig is tough enough without adding provocation, and antagonizing players to the job description. So, for Ellison's sake, I hope that where there is smoke, there is not fire. Otherwise, my man will be looking for a new gig and Hughes will be looking to catch him. Guaranteed. I'll catch you! Guaranteed! Guaranteed. Man, the only thing more bizarre than Hughes rolling up on a referee and saying that he called him a bitch is it maybe being true. (laughs) That's even more bizarre because at the first sound of that, you got to be thinking, come on, these guys, it's their job to not escalate. It's their job to disengage. What referee would do that? What referee would get out a gas can on a spark like that? Well, apparently this guy, maybe, possibly, hopefully. (laughs) We'll see. We are joined by Bulls head coach, Nate Oates. Nate, good to have you back. How are you?
3: Yeah, good to be on. It's been a little bit.
0: It's been a little bit. Good to have you back, though, Nate. I want to touch base because you're 7-0, and you beat West Virginia earlier this season. You're coming back from a win in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So what's the start of the season been like for you and for your team?
3: Uh, I mean, obviously, it's been, uh, been great with the top 25. You know, the win at West Virginia kind of propelled us into that uh, top 25, I think, you know, had we not beat Arizona last year. That one win probably wouldn't have done it. So I think coming off the win against Arizona and then beating West Virginia early, and then you know being seven and zero, it's it's been a pretty good start. We got we got to keep things rolling here, though. Got a few tough games coming up before Christmas.
0: Nate it's joining us. You do have that, Nate. Let me get you to take one look back at last season. You mentioned the win over Arizona. That was a 21-point win over Arizona in the NCAA tournament. Again, I know you're looking forward, but what did that win over one of the bluest of the Blue Bloods mean to you and to your program?
3: You know, I think it proved to our guys what, what all their work that they had put in, you know, where it could take them, how, uh, how good we could be. You know, that maybe – Maybe we beat them in a series, maybe we don't, but in college basketball it doesn't matter you gotta you gotta be better than them on one on one night. I think that's the beauty of the tournament, so I think our guys you know and it goes both ways now we we've got Lemoyne tonight, you know they're division two coached by John Beeline's son Patrick. you know shoot if we don't show up, who knows what happens so it's you know I think it proves your guys though what level that they can get to and we didn't have any five star or four star recruits or even three star or a bunch of kids with a chip on their shoulder that think they belong that I think proved to themselves that they that they may belong with some of those guys at that level.
0: And NATO, it's joining us you're right I mean it goes both ways and if you're not careful they could get you which is why I think you're so careful to preach the three H's humble healthy hungry what do the three H's mean to you and then how do you go about developing those attitudes within your players?
3: Did a little homework, Jim. I think it's been a little while since I told somebody those three h people kept asking us all summer. You know, go to the coaches' uh, caravans and all that. Like, I, I kept thinking, you know, you got to stay healthy, so we got to be healthy. And then if we get a little full of ourselves, and we're not humble. That, that it's, everything's going to backfire. And then I like, think you got to be hungry and go after more. You can't just be satisfied with where you got. So, you know, we're on our guys to take care of themselves, you know, let's prevent every injury we possibly can. But then I think the biggest thing is the mindset, just staying super hungry and wanting more than what we've got. You know, it's great to be 17th in the country, but we feel like even with some of these wins, we didn't play nearly as well, and we're not playing anywhere close to where we could be playing. So let's just keep getting better, and let's do it with a sense of humility about us where we don't get arrogant. When you start to get arrogant, I think that's when stuff starts to go bad in a hurry on you.
0: Nate Oates joining us. Yeah, Nate, going back to the second game of the year, you did beat number 13 West Virginia in OT in their place. And that's something. I mean, what happened in the past with that win over Arizona was great, but beating Bob Huggins and his team this year in their place is a great accomplishment too, especially what Huggins said afterwards. He said that you beat them at their game in their place. What was it like to hear that from a coaching legend like Huggins?
3: Yeah, he's he's won a few games, and his <laughs> teams are uh... – Always one of the toughest teams in the country. I mean, they, they shoot. They may not always have, you know, all the five-star guys either, and they may not have the most talent on the floor. But it's rare that a Bob Huggins team gets out hustled, out toughed. I think we did that to them down there. Now we've got some seniors that are pretty tough kids. You know, Massenberg went in there and dropped 43 on them, which I I think that was close to setting some records on how many points scored at West Virginia on a Bob Huggins coach team. So he, he it, shoot, CJ was gonna end up going junior college if we didn't get him. So he had a really under recruited kid that, that had a chip on his shoulder since he got here and then we got, you know, a couple of really tough defensive guards and Carruthers and Devontae Jordan that, that kind of they're not they're not Javon Carter, but they they were uh they were a little bit tougher than the West Virginia guards were that night. And they they went in there and scrapped, scrapped out a win for our program.
0: Buffalo head coach, Nato it's my guest. Nate, not only are you guys tough and they play the chip on their shoulder, they play remarkably fast. You play at a really high pace, one of the highest in the country, yet you have one of the lowest turnover rates in the country. How do you go about playing at such a high pace yet remain completely in control?
3: You know what? I think you got to empower your kids a little bit to, to play. I mean, we, we, encourage them obviously to play fast or we wouldn't be one of the, I think we were like sixth in the country last year I think somebody tweeted out we're ninth in pace this year currently so we'll probably be top ten two years in a row but I think too you know you get your spacing right and you, you, you we do a lot of individual skills see I'm still a high school coach at heart like I was a high school coach in Detroit for eleven years and do a lot of skill development I had eighteen kids go play division one that played for me and so there's a large part of me that why are you going to spend all this time in the gym working on your game, and then make them go be robots once they get out to play the games? that makes no sense. So let's let's do a ton of player development and skill development, and let's let them go show what show what you've been working on the whole off season. I think if you give them that and give them a little confidence, and they obviously got to rein them in when it needs to be reined in. We don't want to, like you said, we don't want to be flying up and down the floor turning the ball over all the time so far. If you're not turning the ball over. I'm going to give you a lot of freedom on offense. I think the guys really buy into it and get them to play hard on defense. When they got that much freedom on offense, it's a fun style of play. It helps with recruiting, and I, I think it's the way to play. At least for me, it is.
0: I know they appreciate it, too. Nate Oates joining us. You know, when you talk about your background and the background you had as a high school coach, it gets me to thinking about your connection to the Hurleys. In fact, Bobby Hurley is going to be on my podcast, Nate, later on today. Legend has it that you and Bobby first got into contact over the phone when he and Danny were at Wagner and you wanted to watch a practice. What do you remember about that phone call?
3: <laughs> you know, done a lot of homework, Jeff. That's pretty impressive. But, yeah, he... So me and my assistant. So I had an assistant. He was actually I played Division three, small D three school in uh, Wisconsin, Maranatha Baptist. My assistant, Josh Baker, was my point guard. We always used to go to a, like we went out to California, went to uh, Pepperdine for five days. We'd either go to a college or an NBA training camp before the high school practices got started, just to kind of see what they're doing. So as soon as Danny got hired out of high school, I said to Josh, like, why don't, why don't we try to go to Wagner? Like you know. It's not like the blue blood basketball programs. I think they might have been the worst in the country before he got hired. But I, I, my point was, but he just came out of high school. I think we could learn a lot from Danny and let's see if we can do it when Bob seniors area, you know, got a hall of fame coach that best high school coach in the country. Let's, let's try to go learn a lot, you know, long weekend. So I call, you know, you look it up, call Wagner basketball office. Well, there, there's no secretary. So I get Bob Hurley. So Bobby Hurley that played at Duke answers the phone. You know, I had never talked to him. So I, I, I try to explain what I'm trying to do. I explain, you know, it always helps if you've got players. So I explained to him, listen, I've got Division One players. You guys may be interested in recruiting. That always helps you as a high school coach get in with a Division One coach. So so Bobby actually is smart enough to try to make this thing work. He gives me his cell phone. We go back and forth for a few weeks. And we. Ne- the, the ironic thing is we never got out there. The the weekends we could go, Bob Sr. wasn't going to be there those weekends, and we it, it fell through. We, we didn't make it. We went somewhere else that year. But I, I had Bob's number. I didn't stay in touch with Bob's. And Danny, two years later, gets the Rhode Island job, and then they recruit my kid, E.C. Matthews, and then the story kind of goes from there. But, yeah, you're right. That was the first contact I had with Bobby.
0: that's amazing and what an amazing family that is what an amazing basketball family that is you know nate speaking of family you and i have talked in the past uh, about family and about your wife crystal who was diagnosed with double hit lymphoma in 2015 can i ask you how is crystal doing right now
3: she's doing great we just had um like two months ago we had another cat scan you know she gets her checkups at roswell park here in buffalo great cancer institutes we're fortunate that we were in buffalo with them but they, they, they're they're hundred percent clean this last one she had they, they said if, if it was going to come back it most likely would have come back by now so we're you're never hundred percent in the clear with this deal but we're we're to the point now where you can kind of look forward assuming it's not going to come back and not obviously every time you go in I think that it's yearly now I think instead of twice a year and I'd have to get that schedule from her but now you're gonna have a little less Apprehension when you go in to get your checkups now. I think we're, we're pretty good in the clear. I appreciate you asking. It's been a long few years here. We've been through that with her. So I think she's in the clear now, though.
0: Good, Nate. Good. I think a lot of people listening understand exactly what you're talking about. As I always say this. Either you know somebody who's had cancer or has it, or you know somebody who knows somebody, and I think most of us have gone through that. So let me finally ask you, I know you mentioned that your daughters are starting sports right now. What's that experience like for you as a coach and a father?
3: So, my, so I've got three daughters. I, have Lexi's 14, Jocelyn's nine, and Brielle's six. So the 14-year-old Lexi quit playing basketball on me last year. Like I guess she'd had enough of playing basketball when her dad was the coach. So I probably, lesson number one should have just shut up at her basketball games and just been been a, uh, been a silent spectator. So maybe she would still be playing. I don't know, but she's in she's into volleyball and soccer. So I don't I know nothing about either of those two sports, <laughs> so it's it's real easy. I just show up to the games and and clap when they score. And you know if I think I'm, the ref made a bad call, you know you still, you're supposed to yell at the refs as uh, parents every once in a while. I think you know without being can't yell at them like a coach yells at them. You just kind of give them the that, that was a trip or you know whatever, and that's it. You go home happy. They, they lose a the game. Great job, Lexi. They win the game. Great job, Lexi. You go home. It's a little more chilled as a parent, at least for me. Shoot, some of these parents are nuts. though, jump. Like I'm sure you've talked about it on your show. Like uh, I, I get to see it a little bit more now. I, I think as a parent, I'm, I think I'm a little more chilled because I, maybe because I was a high school coach and got to see, got to experience some of the craziness and see how ridiculous it looks. So I don't want to, quite. When I start to get a little heated, I just step back and don't want to look like an idiot, so I try to have some common sense with some of that stuff, I think.
0: Nate, you're right. Some of these parents are out of their minds. I mean, they literally are out of their minds. I've got two boys. One is a senior in high school who played baseball up until this year, and he's got a younger brother who still plays club ball and is going to enter high school. Some of these parents are absolutely out of their minds. In fact, Nate, how about before you go, well, what's your advice for parents? I mean, the, the ones that are so invested, I understand the stakes are high, I understand you might even be looking for a scholarship, there might be money involved, but the parents that are so out of their minds, that are putting so much pressure on their kids and they don't even know if they're doing it, what is your advice for them
3: yeah being a high school coach for 11 years and I was in a program where we like I said we had a lot of success and a lot of division one players and I've got guys playing professionally now and people thought that you know their kids were going to be we had at Romulus they had had four NBA players so everybody thought their kid was the next NBA player I I just think the the kids that do the best in life and and in basketball in general their parents are parents. They're not coaches. They they let the coaches coach. I literally just had a conversation with a dad of one of my Romulus players within the last month. He called, and it had been, shoot, what's seven, six, seven years since I'd coached his kid. And he, he called to apologize to me because of the way he had handled himself when I coached his kid. And he said now he understands what I was trying to do, and he should have let me coach his kid the way I wanted to. And if he, I would have – Things would have been better. It took a lot for him to call and apologize. I, I would tell all the parents, like, one, quit trying to live through your kid. That's stupid. Two is let the coaches coach them. Like, they support them and encourage your kids, but you don't need to. If you're if you're gonna go home, I told a parent this once. They said, "Why do you think, why do you think the kid did that?" They're trying to insinuate that I prompted the kid to act like a, you know, pretty much a jerk. And I, I said. I said, you want to know the truth? I think I think he did it because he goes home and listens to you crit- criticize the coaches every night. That's uh, why he did it. Right. Like if, if you if you go home and listen to your parents criticize the coaches every night, what do you think the kid's going to do? Going to respect the coach at the end of the day? No, he's going to act like a jerk to the coach. So I, I quit living your life through your kids and support the coaches. I mean, every once in a while, there's coaches that don't know what they're doing, but there's proper ways to handle that. It's not complaining to your kids about it. That doesn't that doesn't help anything.
0: There it is, Nate Oates, head coach of Buffalo. They are number 17 in the AP poll. They're unbeaten. Next challenge tonight, LeMoyne at home. Nate, really good to get caught up. Glad we did it. Let's not wait so long next time. And it's always good to have you on the show, Nate. Appreciate it, Jim. Always great to be on the show. That was fun, Nate. Well done. Good job. I love what he said at the very end of that, too. He said the kids that have had the most success both in basketball and in life have parents that are parents and not coaches. Let the coaches coach. Say, once in a while, you'll find a coach who doesn't know what they're doing. But more often than not, they do. Let them do what they do. 1 800 636 8686. And even better, he even owned it himself. He said his daughter no longer plays basketball, and maybe she would still be playing basketball had he not coached so much with her. But now she plays soccer and volleyball. Nate Oates doing a great job keeping that thing going at Buffalo. 2018 MAC Coach of the Year. And they're coming off a school record 27 wins. They hammered Arizona in the tournament last year. They've got a win over West Virginia at West Virginia this year. Dear Jim, as a guy who just spent 18 games in Buffalo, I'm a big fan of the three H's also. You see, that's what I like. I like an email right off an interview where somebody listened to the interview. Dear Jim, is a guy who just spent 18 games in Buffalo, I'm a big fan of the three H's too. Hungry, hungry, and hungry. Signed, Kelvin, binge on burgers and fries and milkshakes at Mayo. Fill in St. Paul. in Peaverton tweets, Jim, I live by the three H's also. High, homeless, hungry. Signed, Ray. Adam Hawk told me that he stayed on the phone, and Nate Oates told him a great story. Adam, pick it up real quick. Any old day, Hawk. So, what did he say to you when you picked up? First of all, guests do not always stay on. Ones that have a good time will stay on. What did he say to you? He's been listening to you since he was working in construction in college, so he really knows the show really well, so he loves being on it. And then he said... I always wanted to work up the courage to call into that contest once a year. And I said, "Uh, (laughs) the smack-off? He goes, yeah, the smack-off. I really wanted to be in the smack-off. I just didn't have enough courage to uh, call in for it. That's incredible. That's a great story. All right, Hawk, quit while you're ahead. I I love that a guy like Nate Oates did not have, quote, the courage to call into the smack-off, yet he had the courage to go into West Virginia and beat Bob Huggins. He had the courage to lead his program up against Arizona and beat them by 21. My man obviously has a rap. He could have done it. You heard the interview. It was a great interview. I love that. When he worked construction in college. What's that tell you about me? It tells you two things. One, I'm an old man. And two, I'm damn good at my job still for an old man. It's pretty impressive. I I like guys. I'm interviewing guys who are coaches and having success who said they listened to me when they were in college. Yeah, I mean, that'd be fine. That'd be like, yeah, Rome, man, you must be really old. Well, okay, maybe, kind of, but damn, I'm still good for a guy my age, right? Be like Jim Beheim saying, yeah, Rome, I used to listen to you when I was in college. Man, I want to be in that contest thing, that smack off thing. It'd be like Coach K, Coach K calling me up. Hey, Romey, I used to listen to you when I was in high school, man. I really looked up to you and I always wanted to be in the smack off. I remember when I, Coach K would be like, I remember when I was in high school and you broke out that hack off thing. Man, that was funny. I think I remember the time Dean Smith called up and said, hey Jim, when I was in college, man, me and the fellas in the dorm all used to listen to you. I remember when John Wooden called me up. John Wooden called me up once and said, you know Van Smack, me and the boys in college, we used to love listening to you. Anyway, that's kind of cool. Thanks, Nate. I remember when Dr. James Naismith called me up and said, as I was nailing that peach basket, I used to listen to you, Rome. Man, you were funny. I remember when George Washington called me up once. He's like, damn, Rome, I'd never heard anything like that on the radio before. Dude, you were great. Me and Abe Lincoln used to hang out. I got a phone call once from a Neanderthal. Neanderthal is like, yo, Van Smack, me and the other cavemen used to listen to you when we were trying to figure out how to make a fire. Dude, you were funny. You were funny. You used to have that glossary thing. Like, we're desperately trying to make fire, and we're trying to figure out the glossary, the jungle glossary. Good stuff, Rome. Good stuff. Me and all the other cavemen thought that was hilarious. This email says, Dear Jim, I remember when you first had the UCSB traffic show. He was on the eve of my 35th birthday. Thanks. Albert Pujols. Drew in West L.A. Are you saying that he's older than he's letting on? Or are you just saying he's old? Romy, I was listening to you alongside those cavemen when you were just getting your career started. Sincerely, Bud Black.
3: Jim, thank you, man. You you and I go way back to... Interviews at San Diego State in the late 70s, man, I'm I'm pumped for where you are right now. It's always great to catch up, Tom.
0: I love Buddy Black, and Bud Black and I do go way back, just not that far back. In the late 70s, I was in middle school. (laughs) I mean, I have prodigious talent. You might even say that I'm a prodigy. I was not hosting a syndicated show or even a major local show when I was in eighth grade. Now, granted, I probably could have but I wasn't. Dear Jim, garbage ass. It's just one of those terms that you never, ever use. It's the equivalent of spitting on a guy or talking about his family. I tried it on my wife once when she was putting on a few LBs. Never again. Jim and Temecula. Hey, Jim, you and three morons on the other side of the glass think that's funny and nobody else does. Hey, Rome, Nate Oates just claps and yells when his daughter's volleyball team scores. Yeah, I do the same thing, except I coach an NFL squad. Yours, Jay Garrett.
3: Clap on!
0: Aaron in Omaha. I'll tell you what, my man Rod Marinelli has saved Jay Garrett's, quote, garbage ass. You saved him now. All of a sudden, nobody's talking about him being on the hot seat. Nobody's talking about him being in jeopardy of losing his job. Now he's great. Why? Because that defense has been unbelievable. Rod Marinelli has saved Jason Garrett's backside. Signed Aaron in Omaha. Wore the collective state of Nebraska. Clapping when Nebraska ball slaughters in-state rival Creighton on Saturday. Man, nobody loves their town, their team, their school, their state like Aaron. Well, maybe not the state. If he's talking crap about Creighton, dear Jim, if a referee can call a freaking NFL player a B, then anyone can just about say anything now, huh? You know what? Coldplay's a bitch. Yours, Maroon Five. It's a pretty horrible email, Brett. sick like all your emails are, Brett and Bugahaw. Get back to the show if you don't mind. I'm joined by the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Fourth season with Toronto, he led Detroit to a Stanley Cup. He has led Canada to back to back Olympic gold medals. The first coach to ever win a Stanley Cup, a World Cup, a World Championship, a World Junior Championship, and an Olympic gold medal. Toronto is in second in the Atlantic, and they're hosting Detroit tomorrow night. Mike Babcock is my guest. Mike, so good to have you back on. How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you, Mike. So you beat Buffalo last night in overtime 4-3. Let me start right there. Austin Matthews got the game winner with three seconds left in overtime. Can you tell me what you saw in that play and what was your reaction when you saw that goal go in?
1: Well, obviously, it's good to win. Uh, I mean, Kaepernick made a real nice play, drove the middle and left it for Maddie, and Maddie can shoot the puck. And so, obviously, good players make great plays, and they often do it when the game's on the line. So good for him. Uh, he's just come back from injury, and so oh, good for his confidence and good for our team. All
0: right, In terms of him coming back from injury, Mike, he's scored twice, he's had an assist, or he did last night, so that gives him five goals, seven points since he returned to the lineup. You and I have talked about him in the past, but now that you've spent even more time with Matthews, what is it about this guy that makes him so special?
1: Well, I think drive-train, I think with all the super players in any league, in any game, is they want the ball in their hand. They want the puck on their stick. They believe they're difference makers. The other thing about them is their commitment to getting better is going beyond what other people are willing to do uh, to improve their skill, to find a new way to keep getting better and pushing others. And so, to me, he's got all that in him. Anytime you come back from injury like he has after missing, uh, I think he missed 14 games or whatever, it takes you a a while. Even though the skill set's there, to get the conditioning back so you can be as good as you can be, and that's the process he's going through
0: right now. Maple Leafs head coach Mike Babcock joining us. Mike, one more thought about the skill. I mean, you've been around the game a long time, you've coached some of the best of the best. When you look at Matthew's skill when it comes to shooting and his release, how many guys have you seen that have that kind of ability?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Someone asked me that yesterday. And, you know, you go through it, I mean, you coach lots of good players. I mean, Paul Correa could really get it away, there's no question about it. There's a number of them over the years that have been top-notch players and done it for a long time what Austin has that a lot of them didn't is just his overall size so he can get himself into position and then he can shoot off his bad foot he can shoot off his good foot he can just flat out shoot the puck and he seems to be able to turn his body and torque his body no matter where the pass is and get it away. So he's a special player. I
0: always say, Mike, I don't play favorites. They pay me to be objective. But I, if I'm being honest, Paul Korea is one of my favorite athletes ever. Literally one of my favorite athletes ever. What was he like to coach?
1: You know, I, I'll tell you what, I only had Paul um, the one year. I was in Anaheim on their farm team for two years prior to that. And obviously, we had a real good run. We lost in the Stanley Cup final. But it's real enjoyable to talk to him when they put his his sweater up there in the rink here not that long ago to catch up with him and just talk about life a great person uh you want to talk about work ethic and leading by example and being all in all the time that was paul and and uh, you know he was a special guy to be around i think all the greats whether you're talking lidstrom whether you're talking dad's where you're talking any of the guys i've coached crosby over the years their commitment to detail their way they lead, not by talking, but by doing, is very impressive.
0: Mike Babcock, my guest. Mike, I wonder, once you get to the NHL level, do those guys have that already? I mean, can you teach that? Can you drill that into somebody? Or if they don't have it by then, are they not going to get it?
1: Well, I just think that they, they keep evolving. That's what the special players do. You can be a good player in the National Hockey League and not have heart and soul. Yeah, you can mm. do it on town, But if you want to be a superstar there's something special about you. There's a drivetrain that separates you from the rest. And in the end, to me, that's where the details, that's where the special players rise to the occasion. Now, when you're a young player, you're, you're evolving your game. Now, Patrick Marlowe, who's still a star in the league at 39, is still evolving as a 39-year-old. But that's what the best of the best do. They always want to get better.
0: What about as a coach, Mike? Do you have to have that the same drive train as a coach? And do you keep evolving as you get as you go farther into it?
1: Well, Jim, you know, in your business, it's the same way. If you stop getting better, someone's going to have your job. And what I find about the people that absolutely love it, though, it's not their job; it's just what they do. And because they're so passionate about it, they want to get better. They want to find a new way. You, t- you know, I say to people all the time: once free agency is over around life 5th, from that period till the end of August is the reinvent yourself time. It's the books you read, it's the people you meet, it's The new situations you put yourself into, the different CEOs you talk to to try to evolve, to try to learn, to try to get better. Players are 100% the same.
0: Mike Babcock joining us on the program. All right, Mike, so one thing about the team, you talked about how this team certainly is fun to watch, but just because you're fun to watch does not mean you're going to play a long time in the spring. So how important is it then to be a heavy team and a physical team if you want to have success in the playoffs?
1: Well, I think they're just the details. That's what we talk about every day here now. You know, when I first came to Toronto, it was just cleaning out the situation and getting it and sort of rebuilding it so we could have players. Now we're at a point where we look like we're a good team. If you want to play a long time in the spring, the details you have. So that's not necessarily about scoring. It's not about individual stats. It's about team success. And often the team success time of the journey is after you've already had the individual success. We want to do them at the same time because we have so many kids. In order to do that, that's going to be details. That's going to be sacrificing individual rights for team rights. It's going to be an evolution, and it doesn't happen overnight.
0: All right, so you're talking about process. Now, you've won five straight games, and the team is off to its best start. In 84 years, the fans are excited, but you know better than to get ahead of yourself. You're going to focus on the task at hand, but when you look at the skill level and you look at the quality in that room and the culture of the team, what kind of thoughts do you have in terms of the potential of this group right now?
1: Well, I think you know, obviously the potential is there, but we gotta learn those lessons and you know what's interesting we talk a lot here uh very happy to watch o v last spring and raise the cup. you know when it was thirty one or thirty two years old Steve Eiserman was thirty one or thirty two years old. We wanna be greedy here; we don't wanna wait that long in order to do that though, we're gonna have to get the lessons early. I mean Crosby was able to do it as a younger man, so that detail you need in your group. The leadership from the veteran players you need, the whole package together, the gold penny the skill, you got to put it all together. You know, if it was easy to do, anyone would do it, but we like our opportunity and we like the process we're in and we like the direction we're going.
0: We're talking to Mike Babcock for a couple of more moments. You know, Mike, when you hear things like you're off to your best start in 84 years, I know you're not going to relax. You've made this pretty clear even during this conversation. We've talked about that story from back in the day when you and your father were having a drink by the fireplace after a big win, (laughs) and you said things were going pretty good. And he said, when was that again? Just a way of kind of putting it into perspective and reminding you to focus on what's ahead. That said, do you think there will ever come a day when you retire and you can sit back and think about winning the Cups, winning the gold medals, and then having the best start in 84 years? and be able to enjoy that when does that time come well,
1: no i think jim for sure i think it's important to enjoy it while it happens and so enjoy the moments enjoy your family live in the present wherever you're at be all in and saying all that though yeah, that hungry process that drive to to get better to me that's where the fun is the fun's in the process And enjoying that and embracing that and understanding that's just part of your life. And I think once it's part of your life, it's probably always going to be a part of your life. That doesn't mean it necessarily has to be in hockey if you choose to do something else one day. But I think if you're that kind of person, it's going to be hard to just shut that down.
0: So last thought, Michael, if you're that kind of person and you know that you have to do what you have to do in order to be the person that you want to be, is there a natural momentum? In other words, do you just do all those things and it's easy? Or are there a lot of things that you really don't want to do that you make yourself do because you're supposed to, if you follow me?
1: No, I understand the question 100%. No, this is what I love to do. I love the grind. Uh, I love the grind maybe more than anything. And I love the tough times because I know they can... They make you better. Uh, it's great when it's going good, but the lessons are when it's not going good. And to me, that's how you take steps. This, to me, has been a lot of fun coming to Toronto. You know, we're now in a situation where we feel we have an opportunity. What more in life can you ask for than an opportunity? And and this is the challenge for us now. It's It's an exciting time. We've earned an opportunity to get here. If you want to be a champion, you got to dig in more, and
0: that's
2: just the reality of it.
0: Mike Babcock, my guest. Mike, one final thought. You you look at the success that the NHL has had in expansion. We've seen it here in Southern California. You coached here in Southern California. We saw it in Vegas, and the NHL-approved expansion to the city of Seattle for 2021. Do you have thoughts on that? What do you think about the NHL going to Seattle?
1: Jim, I don't know how much time you spent in Seattle, but this is a wonderful city. I lived in Spokane, Washington for six years. We used to go in there all the time. What a city, what a town, what a place, what a great spot for the National Hockey League to be in. I think a home run for the National Hockey League and obviously having balance now with 16 teams aside, it'll be great.
0: Mike Babcock is the head coach of the Maple Leafs. Fourth season there, and they're off to a really good start. Mike, I so appreciate the relationship and the conversation. Mike, it's always so good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Have a great day, sir. You too. Mike, great talking to you. Much respect.
3: I love when you talk hockey.
0: Especially to Mike Babcock. What a freaking resume that is. Good
3: night.